And we are now uh, going to be heading to Acts 11, as last week we spent uh, a good amount of time. I think we went over uh, a bit last week with Acts 10, um, but that's okay. Uh, that happens from time to time. But this evening, let's go ahead and, oh, I need to actually share the screen uh, so that everyone, we can be somewhat on the same page as it were. Um, and we will go ahead and start um, with Acts 11. Who would like uh, to begin reading? Hi, Ken. Where do you want me to go to? Let's do, let's go ahead and do the first 18 verses. And then before you do that, let's actually pray because I... Uh, that would probably be a good idea as we're dealing with a lot of, um, this is an interesting chapter. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O Christ our God, uh, guide our minds and our hearts as we study uh, your Apostle Peter, and as we study your Apostle Paul, and all of the saints of the early church uh, and still within us a heart eager to be a witness to the glory of your love and the glory of the resurrected life that we see coursing through the veins of this early church. May you be with us, uh, guide us, visit us, and enlighten us as we go and serve within your world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, Erica, let's let's go ahead and do a big chunk, and then we can maybe break it down and read it again if, if need be. So go ahead and read the first 18 verses for me, please. Sure. Now the apostles and the brethren who are in Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, no, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brethren also accompanied, accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, <coughs> saying, Send to Joppa, and bring Simon called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fall on them just as at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard this, they were silenced. 
And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance unto life. We get here in the 11th chapter a, a nice overview, actually, of Acts 10, uh, almost verbatim in some uh, places. Uh, it's almost as if uh, Peter's thrice um, ecstatic vision <laughs> Uh, and God needed to talk to him that the uh, Luke decided that we needed to hear it again so that we get it through uh, what happened to him. Um, is there any questions or anything that pop up about the way that Peter retells this account? Good evening. Hi, Reed. Why do I not see you for some reason? Oh, there you are. <laughs> Well, there's some, I, it is fascinating how in verse two, we've already talked about the division uh, among the church that um, occasioned the ordination or setting aside of deacons. And so that was kind of a foreshadowing of the challenge that was going to be coming. Um, something obvious throughout uh, the early church as it was an issue for um, the Jewish, um, the Jews at the time, that there was um, a division of what exactly, this is the debate all through Second Temple kind of Jewish literature, which is what does it mean to be Jewish? Not, and this is like, what does it mean to be Jewish as in like, a, a Jewish identity or a Catholic identity or something like that. Um, rather, it is um, a identity of what is it? How does it? What? How do we practice Judaism? Uh, what are the defining marks? I think I've uh, in that chapter. I think I talked about uh, some of the de the debates that raged in um, Second Temple Jewish uh, literature. Um, that you see in like the um, uh, Book of Jubilees or Enoch, uh, the different Enoch uh, volumes, um, that there was a debate. I mean, you see this in the Book of Daniel. I even talked about in the Book of Daniel that there's debate about circumcision. There was debate about the food laws and the purity laws, which we see then here in Acts 11 as well. Um, and so this is all about what does it mean to be Jewish and specifically the pressure of what does it mean to be Jewish in a society, the Greco-Roman uh, uh, society, that um, did not jive with Jewish practice in many uh, many ways. So, what's fascinating is we already have, and I, we've talked about this a little bit. We already have a party within the church. We have a, I wouldn't say a schism or a sect, but we have uh, a group that have a very particular opinion. So much so that they can call it the circumcision party criticized him. Um, whether or not there was a full formed group, you know, with a vice president and a secretary to take notes for when the circumcision party got together, uh, there is at least some kind of men and women of the same mind about what it means uh, for someone to follow Jesus Christ. Um, We've kind of navigated through this text the how hard it can be for us in now 
how kind of uh, solidified it is. We know an Orthodox Christian believes X, Y, and Z, which puts us different from like Roman Catholics about X, Y, and Z versus Lutherans, Anglicans, and various other Protestants, much less other religions. But in the early um, in the early time of the church, there some a lot of these things had not been completely settled yet. So it's not surprising that, uh, as we all know human nature, that there's already debates about what it means for folks to be in and what it means for them to follow Jesus Christ. And um, there already to be, it's fascinating, there's already criticism of Peter, <laughs> the leader of the apostles. They're already... Uh, asking him why he has done this. And so Peter goes and explains uh, this vision. Um, I, I find it fascinating that once you get down to this verse 15, we have a very specific uh, illusion that Peter is paralleling um, this, uh, what had happened at the end of Ch John, uh, John, Acts chapter 10, uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon the Gentiles that he says it was a saint just as on us at the beginning. So he's very specifically saying they had their own, the Gentiles had a Pentecost. Uh, and how am I supposed to deny if the Gentiles uh, had received the Holy Spirit like we did? How am I going to deny them baptism? And then further, what I find fascinating as well in verse 16 is uh, a very explicit, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I know I ask this a lot, but is this, has this ha occurred in the book of Acts so far, where one of the apostles says, I remember that Jesus said X, therefore, I know Paul in the uh, epistles, I believe it's in one of the Corinthian epistles, he talks, he even says the Lord says, something i forget exactly what it is and it's not actually a saying that is found in the gospels um but you have uh this um memory of peter uh kind of it's almost like we get a little peek into what at pentecost the descent of the holy spirit are um, on the road to emmaus how the the their eyes are opened we kind of see pete the process of how peter put to puts together the aha moment Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure when Jesus said that at the time, they're like, what are you talking about? I get water baptism, but what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And now after post-Pentecost, he can now put together what Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and now he can make sense of it. Um, as I, I comment pretty often how much the apostles are pretty lost in the gospels <laughs> they were hanging on because they knew that he was the messiah but that did not mean they always understood what he was saying anyways i just talked a whole bunch does anyone have any comments or questions about uh, these first 18 verses i just noticed he places in close juxtaposition in verse, verses 10 and 11, this happened three times. We talked about that last week. Yeah. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were. And so I'm wondering if the uh, 
the three repetitions were indicative of the three men coming. You know, I also think of the hospitality of Abraham, the angels mm -hmm. that visit. Um, but I, I do know that they were sent by um, Cornelius there. One of them, if I remember correctly, two of them were servants and one of them was a fellow soldier who was a, a Christian or uh, at least a devout believer in God. But then I, I, can somebody solve this puzzle for me? Why then in verse 12, it says these six brethren also accompanied me. Am I missing something? Well, I take it that the, these were six Jewish men because it said back in chapter 10 that some of the Jewish believers went with Peter when he so went to Cornelius's. Ah. And so he's, you know, he's speaking not simply on his own testimony, but he's got six other witnesses saying. Now I see, I see what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. It's also, I've been talking about from how we've seen like Jerusalem as the center and then this kind of expansion outwards. Uh, but there's still something important about Jerusalem. Where does Peter go? Uh, he doesn't go to Antioch. He goes back to Jerusalem. Even though there had been a persecution, uh, the centrality of Jerusalem, uh, we will still see Jerusalem as the center of things um, in the book of Acts. Even though we're going to end up in Rome, uh, going that direction, um, Jerusalem is still at the center of things. It did also, occur, go ahead. It, it did. It did occur to me uh, that these these passages, uh, well, this passage in particular, uh, where, uh, uh, where they were saying, uh, you know, verse three, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? That challenge to Peter uh, somewhat undercuts. Or is one of the is somewhat undercuts the Catholic Church's claim that the keys were given exclusively to Peter, which has always been a subject to debate for you know well for millennia. Uh, but it's you know well if the keys are given exclusively to Peter, then nobody would dare say to him, "Well, why did you do this?" They go, "Oh, were we supposed to do that?" <laughs> If he's right. so, you're, you know, you're, reminding me, yeah. you're, you're reminding me of an, an experience I had at a um, Holy Cross seminary, uh, the Greek seminary up in Brookline. Um, they had for years, I was at the first summer institute they had with the Papas Patristic Institute. And we are reading uh, early epistles. So like Ignatius, Clement, uh, I think maybe even a sec small section of Irenaeus. Um, that cat sounds like a child somewhere screaming silently. Um, and we he, were, he, he, he knows that and he uses it. <laughs> so what was fascinating, because it wasn't just Orthodox, it was also Catholics who were reading this together with. And the gymnastics, because Clement does not, uh, and Ignatius, there, there's not... I, there is a there's not a sense of Peter having and even it's Peter and Paul if I'm remembering correctly from the Ignatian epistle um, 
there's no sense of like a Petron supremacy in those early. And there was a lot, I witnessed a lot of gymnastics attempting to create that. And I will just say that the Orthodox were a little just kind of confused because we don't die on that hill. Uh, because there's obvious Peter and Paul are, I mean, even like Antioch, the city of Antioch has Peter as one of its founders and they celebrate the founding of the Patriarchate of Antioch on the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul. Um, and I know Rome also has a devotion to Paul as well. Um, not just Peter, uh, but we don't want to get too sidetracked as the whole, the, the off, the Petron office is a, uh, I'll say it's a much later development from the book of Acts by far in the way that it gets developed in the Roman Catholic church, especially to something like Vatican one. That's light years away from this. Yeah, I know. The only reason I pointed it out is because the, 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 the uh, the Petrine, is that what you call it? Yeah. Th th that controversy is so important to the schism and, and you know, and, continue, and, and continues to be. And, yes. But, you know, and, and this is just more evidence that. You don't see a footnote to the donation of Constantine or anything, do you? No, no, no. no. That's a joke because it doesn't yeah. exist. But <laughs> yeah, no, no. So let's, uh, let's continue. That's we the original St. Jerome. Uh, sure. <laughs> so let's continue uh, with the next uh, section. Uh, and we, if we can, we can go ahead and hit chapter 12 as well. Uh, because if we get through this chapter, it's not like we're just going to stop uh, until it's 830. So uh, who would like to read the next section, 19 to 29, uh, 30 rather? I can read if you like. Please do. Now, when those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to none except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number that believed turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a large company was added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a large company of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were for the first time called Christians. Want me to continue? Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus. Agabus. Huh? Agabus is fine. Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, and this took day, place in the days of Claudius. And the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brethren who lived in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Again, uh, fascinating 
section, they have the scattering that we've talked about previous uh, to the chapter on uh, Stephen, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, uh, and Simon Magus. Um, we have Stephen who traveled all the way to Phoenicia and then he made it over to Cyprus and Antioch. Uh, but they didn't say anything to anyone but the Jews. And there's another group that decided who were of the uh, Hellenistic Jews or that kind of party. Uh, and I, I'm sure they don't say specifically, but I would not be surprised knowing that Barnabas is a Cypriot, um, that Barnabas might've been the head of these Cypriots uh, who uh, go to Antioch and they speak to the Greeks. When you get Barnabas coming to Antioch, it seems that he needs some help, or at least he's heard of Saul. And so he brings him there to help him. Uh, and they spend a whole year with the church uh, teaching them. Uh, it, it's always fascinating, these little bits, and you wonder, so what did they do for that year? What was the teaching like? Did they just walk through the Old Testament? Did they reread scripture and, and with new eyes to be able to understand? Uh, I bet they had some debates. Um, but you have this fascinating coalition of Barnabas uh, meeting up with the Cypriots uh, and then bringing Saul along to help uh, teach. So again, you can see here that there's some kind of tension going on. There are those who will only go and teach the, the Jews, and then you'll have those who are okay with going beyond those boundaries. Uh, and it seems obviously Luke is on the side, I would say, of uh, those who go beyond the boundaries of the Jews because uh, it's very much, they see the large company is added and they rejoice in the Holy Spirit having done that work among the the Greeks. Does anyone have any comments or questions about? I've got a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, I'll, has, I'll try. <laughs> well, obviously this is a different Stephen, right? Hasn't Stephen been stoned? The persecution, I believe, happened right after Stephen. Sorry, did I say Stephen traveled? What I meant is those who, uh, after That's what it Stephen. says. It, it yeah, says yeah. It says, but I mean, isn't Stephen's, the story of Stephen being stoned in the first few chapters of Acts? It's like Acts 7 or so. Yeah, so this must be a different Stephen, yes? No, I think this is, the, I think this is that Stephen, that yeah. because after that you have the persecution. This is, I think they're, this is kind of like a backward glance that after Stephen, folks then went to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. We already knew that there was folks who were spreading um, in Cyprus and Antioch. Oh, and, and okay, 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 I think it now. And my other question is, why is he called Saul? Because that was his name. Wait, I thought his name had changed to Paul. Not yet. Oh, okay. Okay. Demetri is visiting us from another world or galaxy down there. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. I'm, 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 so, I'm sorry. That was really stupid of me. It says there were rows over Stephen. Okay. Stephen's not going anyplace. Okay. 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 Thank you. I, I, I'm very sorry. Well, I think it's interesting here too. I'm confused. Um, it was Barnabas when Paul or Saul first came to Jerusalem and no one wanted to have anything to do with him because they didn't think he was real. It was Barnabas who introduced Saul to the uh, apostles and the leaders there. And so certainly Barnabas is well acquainted with Saul and presumably then knew because Saul would have told him that the Lord had said, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so it's interesting when they first are having Gentile believers here that Barnabas, rather than working full time right there in Antioch, takes the time to go over to Tarsus and find Saul and bring him back. It's also the question for me is when did the three years in Arabia for Paul happen? But I'm not going to try to do a chronology here because that, that, that gets brought up in Galatians. But Glenn, you said you were confused, or I heard. Yeah, you. I am. Con I am confused because I thought it was at the conversion that they began to call him Paul. Um, yeah. And here it's it's saying he's going to look for Saul. That was always the name that was referenced during the time he was persecuting the Christians. And I've always thought that after that point, Paul, when he had his conversion, he was called Paul from that point forward. And so it's it's just it's confusing to me that it says that he went to look for Saul. Did it change when he converted? I don't remember. And I'm and I may be wrong on the timing, and that may be the that may be what's confusing me. They may have started calling him Paul at another point. Well, I th I think I had heard this idea too and believed it like in my childhood, but I just did a quick search. And evidently, the first time the name Paul shows up in Acts is in chapter 13. Where it says, then Saul, who also was called Paul, and then it goes on and talks about him. Okay. Very good. That makes sense, though. It is fascinating that if, if he was Paul this whole time... And I, I read, I, I agree with you that I think I in Glenn, too, I had from... I think it was taught to me that like Abraham getting it, like, you know, getting that name and Sarah, that Paul received his, like got a new name. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case from what Reed was just saying from Acts 13. It just says, Saul, I had another name named Paul and now we're going to call him Paul. <laughs> yeah. Probably remembering, from, Go probably ahead, remembering from one of my, uh, theological television movies or something like that. <laughs> I mean, I still, to this day, there's stuff that I forget, like up in the attic of what I think about some, or like, you know, decisions or interpretations of texts, especially you know, scripture, that then I read them now and I'm just like, what? <laughs> Where, how, how, somebody was wrong. I'll take the blame, but I think it was somebody told me. <laughs> I remember first semester in seminary in New Testament one, we were doing the synoptic gospels and <clears throat> we were all brand new to seminary, but in class, a student would make a statement and the professor who, um, I, he would stop and look at them and say, what does it say in the text? 
and <laughs> refer us back to. And sure enough, you read the gospel and realize, wow, the wise men and the shepherds didn't show up in the same gospel. Um, or, well, we have them here, but we don't have them in Mark. Or, um, But all of these preconceptions that we have about, well, it's in there, isn't it? I'll go back and look at the text and, and see how much is um, added by tradition or added by Christmas specials or added by what have you. Um, but yeah, there, there is no substitute for going back and read the text. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Yep. And read it carefully. David, you're a lawyer. You understand how that works, right? Yes, you read sir. the actual you got to read the actual words and people get surprised when they didn't read it the first time around somebody asked on facebook once what's the uh -oh. best what's the best advice you ever got and i told him the best advice i ever got and this is relevant okay uh, because to write just what you said jim best advice i ever got was on the very first day i was practicing law this old lawyer we had an office upstairs above me, comes down and says, David, I'm going to get, tell you one thing. Whenever you cite, you decide you're going to cite a case or a statute or a rule or regulation to a court. Read it first and then cite it to the course, to the, to the court. And so that's right along with what you're saying, Jim. That's actually been a guiding principle. It turned out to be a guiding principle to me for almost everything, you know? It's why often I won't participate in discussions because I'll think that's wrong, but I haven't got time to look it up and verify it. And I don't want to talk unless I've verified it first. So I'm going to rip off this, David. This is one of my, I'll just say pet peeves. This, it happens a lot in Orthodox circles that we say, the fathers say, dot, 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 dot. And I usually want to say, which father said that? Because yeah. there are so <laughs> many fatherisms, I don't know, that mm -hmm. are loosely maybe what is actually said. Um, or you could always not, find someone who said something different. Right. Well, <laughs> That's another we'll wade into that water, deeper waters at some point. But um, the challenge is to actually read the fathers. And that's why I think there's a reason, part of the reason probably why, uh, I don't know, we have Chrysostom, Basil, Greg, we have a particular sets that I think are the ones that we need to spend the most time with. Uh, and there's a few, I would say, 19th century Russians who are uh, good as well, um, that are just middle of the road, by middle of the road, like they're the thick of the tradition. And to read them, you're going to get specific good advice, uh, et cetera. But there's a lot of stuff that gets printed or now because, I mean, this wasn't this way, but now because of like father memes where you can get like these quotes from the fathers and some of them are just kind of like, okay, that's nice, but it doesn't really mean anything. You might as well just quote like, you know, a Psalm. Uh, so, I get why we say the fathers say, and sometimes that's a shorthand, but it's good for us to not be lazy and say the fathers say, and it's something that we maybe heard in an interview on ancient faith radio, but it's not actually something that a father actually said. 
Dimitri, I see your metaphorical and real hand raised. Yes, Dimitri. Father, by 19th century fathers, are you talking about, for example, those who uh, said that in the in the future, after uh, Tsar Nicholas II was overthrown, um, in, in the future, after today's world, sometime in the future, that, uh, there will be an another Russian Tsar who will return. Are you talking about those types no, of uh, I'm talking about like uh, Saint Theophon the Recluse, Saint uh, Ignatius Branchinov, uh, some of the Optina elders uh, when they were reading uh, like Isaac the Syrian, um, Maximus the Confessor, basically the Hesychastic Fathers. Uh, when they they basically do a very good job of distilling uh, the wisdom of the church. So. Let, I, while we're, while, while I would like for us to talk about Agabus here uh, and verses 27 through 30, because as we were talking about being um, uh, youth and reading scripture, I honestly do not remember this from my former readings of uh, the book of Acts, but now this really sticks out to me. What do you all think about old, old Agabus? If I had said there's prophets running around in the early church in the book of Acts, you might on one hand say, sure, that sounds about right. But here we are with prophets. Jim. Yes. You're un you unmuted. <laughs> I am muted. Um, yeah. I'm rolling up the sleeves. <laughs> um, well, this goes along with uh, the prophecy from Joel uh that that you know their old men would see visions young men dream dreams or do i have that backwards that you know in that day the lord would pour out pour out his spirit on all flesh yes and so part of what the book of acts is showing is that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy in joel uh when god's spirit is manifest in all of his people um so we see prophecies, but the early church did also have to deal with false prophets and bringing back, um, we talked about the Didache a couple yes. of weeks ago. And the Didache is one of the earliest writings that we have from, from the church in those days. Uh, part of it, there's a section devoted to, well, how can you discern a false from a genuine prophet? And what are some of the warning signs to look out for? Because Anytime you have things like this, you're also charlatans who are looking for a way to make a buck are going to jump on the gravy train like Simon Magus tried to do. Um, and so very early on, they, they had to get very practical about how do you recognize the real thing from the counterfeit? Can I read a few sections from the Didache on profits? Because it's fascinating. Please do. Uh, so I just Googled this. Thank you, Google. But this looks like uh, a PDF that has all the relevant passages from the Didache. Does everyone know the Didache, we talked about this earlier, the Didache was a, a text that wasn't really discovered. Was it early 20th century? Uh, it's, it's a recent discovery. It, it is not something, I believe the early church, they reference it, but it was not a text that was known until more recently. Um, but so here it says this, 
this is, um, I'm not going to do the chapter and verse, but I'll just start reading from it. Concerning the apostles and prophets, act thus according to the ordinance of the gospel. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as the Lord. Obviously, this is back when there are still apostles to be received. Uh, but let him not stay more than one day, or if need be, second as well. But if he stay three days, he is a false prophet. When an apostle goes forth, let him accept nothing but bread till he reach his night's lodging. But he asks, if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Do not test or examine any prophet who is speaking in a spirit, for every sin shall be forgiven, but this sin shall not be forgiven. But not everyone who speaks in the spirit is a prophet, except he have the behavior of the Lord. From his behavior, then, the false prophet and the true prophet shall be known. And no prophet who orders a meal in a spirit shall eat of it, otherwise he's a false prophet. And every prophet who teaches the truth, if he does not, what he teaches is a false prophet. But no prophet who has been tried and is genuine, though he enact a worldly mystery of the church, if he teach not others to do what he does himself, shall be judged by you. For he has his judgment with God, for so also did the prophets of old. For whosoever shall say in his spirit, give me money or something else, you shall not listen to him. But if he tell you to give on behalf of others in want, let none judge him. So I'm not going to read all of this, but you can tell basically prophets who go around seeking to profit. Uh, I hated my dad for all that, but here I, I get to do it now. Um, you don't. <laughs> uh, Is it still a dad joke when father tells it? <laughs> that's really meta. Um, <laughs> well, we, and this fits perfectly with how we've been reading the book of Acts and how often it talks about money and the use of money and how, uh, what the spirit of God and what it means uh, for the early church of Barnabas or Ethiopian eunuch um, versus Ananias and Sapphira and Simon Magus, um, that they were not seeking money, but they were seeking to give. They were behaving as the Lord. So we have these prophets come and they foretell a famine, or he, Agabus does. And they, this is then a tide because of the famine. Uh, this, again, I think fits actually, this was not planned, uh, but it fits the Didache where we have a foretelling and a prophecy. And what does that mean for the church? It doesn't mean they go, oh my goodness, you know, uh, I'm sure that Claudius has decided there's a Roman conspiracy against the early church or something along those lines or whatever. And then they share all sorts of memes. No, what you get is the disciples determine that they're going to send relief. There is tied, this prophecy is tied to giving uh, and to sacrifice to uh, the behavior of our Lord. So it's not just that Agabus was accurate in foretelling, but that the fruit of that prophecy was Christ-like behavior as well. And that the prophecy uh, lent that to the relief of the brethren who lived in Judea. Somehow it all just kind of comes together, you know, when you read scripture and the early tradition and it just kind of fits. <coughs> read. I think it's striking too, that it's not, he doesn't uh, 
foretell a famine happening in Judea. It's going to happen everywhere. And the believers in Antioch says, well, we better help those other believers. Why do you think that they're doing that? Why would believers in Antioch, Gentiles, want to send food to Judea, and they're going to send it by the hand of Barnabas and Saul? Well, I might guess that the uh, believers, and especially the apostles there in, in Jerusalem, were already hard-pressed. But it seems like the Apostle Paul says something about, well, if the Gentiles have received spiritual blessings from the Jews, then certainly the, the the Gentiles should at least share material blessings with the Gentile or with the Jews. I think this is all. This is also a way, in the same that there was squabble. I mean, what was the source of the squabbling between the widows? It was the distribution of food. So we now have the Gentiles, the the as you just said, the fruit of Jerusalem. Now there's going to be a giving back to. Um, in some ways, it's the Gentiles saying, like, here here's proof. <laughs> We, we're even going to give you our money uh, that we are truly following Jesus Christ. Anybody else have any questions about that? I've got one more comment about Agabus. Please. And I looked this up before saying it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is, I don't know if you've heard, you may be familiar with this, Father, but, but there is a Jewish doctrine the prophecy ended with Malachi. And there has been no prophecy since Malachi. Now, whether that's reformed, or I can't remember the name of the other one, but I, 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 I don't know. But that rang a bell with me, and so I decided to look it up. And yeah, sure, sure enough, there's a Jewish doctrine that it ends with Malachi. So here you've got the Christians being... Saying we've got a prophet. Yeah, so now you have Christians saying they have a prophet. So, so it's fascinating. Why? So, so me, go ahead. I don't know how I don't know how recent that doctrine is. Right. It's it sounds to me like it's a fairly modern. You're not an expert in rabbinical Judaism. No, not yet, but I'm working on it. Um, Good. No, but but I, I'm willing to bet that it's a fairly recent doctrine that that had to be developed to exp, to explain why. There weren't any prophecies anymore. Right. And, and, and so, so what, the, what happened? Why do we not call? Well, I mean, we don't have an office of prophets anymore. Is that correct or not correct? Office of prophets? Well, in the sense, like, did I okay, are they like down the, are like, they like down the hall from the. <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of paperwork. <laughs> They're forecasters now. They're weathermen and women. <laughs> what, Jim? I see you're unmuted. <laughs> oh, uh, it's more just habit, but um, it may not necessarily be an office, but we do speak of um, people speaking prophetically yes. when there's a clear sense. Um, I remember 10 years ago, um, before uh, Metropolitan Jonah was was elected Metropolitan, um, but hearing a recording of his comments to uh, um, convention uh, or uh, you know, gathering of of the OCA, and he was not afraid to speak truth 
of where the OCA was at the time. And there was this sense of you know, that his words were prophetic, that he was speaking the truth that the OCA needed to hear at that time and in that place. Yes. Yeah. I think, Jim, to me, that's key, is that a prophet is somebody who speaks the truth and speaks the word of God. So I, I would say, I don't know about the office, but I mean, it seems to me, I've heard a lot of people speak prophetically, you know, uh, not yeah, in a fortune teller I, I sense. Agree. So I was kind of stirring up the water there just to yeah. uh, be provocative. So I would think there, there's an early sense. I mean, they talk about prophets and they are separate. They're like a separate thing uh, as opposed to apostles. And even Didache seems to separate that there's a specific gift given. Um, and I think the way that I uh, kind of think about it, and this is just based on me trying to make sense of things. It's not that I read this somewhere. Uh, but I think that you see a lot of the prophetic dimensions of uh, Judaism when it moves into, um, or say the revelation of the Old Testament, when it moves into the New Testament and beyond, that a lot of the prophetic um, voice moves into the monastic arena. Uh, and that you have a lot of a eschatological witness that is the monastic uh, and those kind of prophecies, uh, even prophecies like Agabus that seem to come from, um, well, monastics, uh, the, those who are following the ascetical life. And I don't mean monastics in the sense of like, just like, an, like monks and some official, but those who are um, seeking the ascetical life that they seem to be able, I mean, we talk about this to this day, right? Like um, able, the ability to read hearts that we find in certain, uh, Starits or uh, Giranda's uh, elders uh, in English, um, that they're able to, and we have all sorts of stories about saints, they're, this kind of ability to read the times and understand what is going on and even make predictions or be able to talk about things. Uh, one that's coming directly to my mind is, um, I think it's St. Cosmos, the Aetolian. I could be wrong, but there's somebody who's talking about one day in the future, there's going to be these boxes in people's uh, homes, and it's going to fill their homes with poison. Uh, and, it, and he's talking about televisions. Uh, but he didn't really know how to talk about television, so he just talked about these boxes that, like, demons, like, enter into the house through these boxes. So something like that. That, that could... I think there's something prophetic in the sense of like, that's true. You can go all sorts of crazy directions with that, but the spirit of it, I think is, is, is right. May I say something about this Jewish doctrine? And I, I don't want to sound judgmental because I'm not judgmental. <laughs> you and nobody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. 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 Is that I your not, judgment? I am, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> ahead, I'm, I am not intentionally judgmental and i try not to be judgmental there you okay. go uh but but it it just it, it just strikes me that the jews at this point would have to have some kind of a doctrine that teaches that the prophecies end at malachi 
because the prophecies all point at Christ. And from this point forward, because of the revelation through the incarnation and, 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 and the crucifixion and the resurrection, the only way to understand the true word of God going forward is through the cross and and you know the the, the life the death the resurrection and and, and 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 the ascension so if you don't start from that point it'd be very very difficult to 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 truly speak god's word when i think i think that's why when i i he, i don't know if you noticed that i hesitated when i said uh judaism at this time and I kind of say it because it's the easiest way to try and describe something very difficult or complicated because yeah. uh, what we understand as Judaism today and whatever variant it is, is birthed at the same time as Christianity be, uh, or roughly around the same time. Because once you have the temple destroyed, there's no going back to being able to follow yeah. Levitical code or anything like this. So anything that's modern Judaism is the product of the same ferment and foment of late antiquity as Christianity. And they then kind of become, you know, uh, I want to say sparring partners, but uh, here's a little interesting factoid. If you read origins uh, homilies, if I remembering correctly, his homilies on the song of songs, um, there's been research that's done that at the same time where he was, which was Caesarea, to bring this back even to add the Book of Acts, where we were. Uh, uh, oops. Pardon me <laughs> while I mute. Uh, you have Origen doing these homilies on the Song of Songs, and it seems like he's shadow boxing somebody, as in like he's inter he's like engaging with someone. Uh, and there's discovered that basically. Um, there was rabbis at the time in the area that he was at that he was reading, they were talking to each other and they were arguing with each other uh, specifically about how to interpret these texts. So there is more going on in the background of early Christianity and there's specific even engagements with Judaism from early Christian writers. Um, but Judaism also the, the development of the rabbinical tradition, all of this, um, it's hard because it's a much, when you look at something like the Talmud and the and Midrash and these things, they, we don't, Christian stuff you can date. Uh, the Jewish material is just kind of all thrown together. So it's really hard to discern what is second century Jewish uh, textual stuff versus like fifth century, uh, if I'm remembering my dates correctly or roughly to that. Um, so Judaism uh, as a concept, you know, is, difficult to pin down because it is nascent at this time and they're reacting to Christianity and we're reading a Christian text. So it's not going to show what's going on with the Jews as much as what's going on with Christians. Yeah. There are any other questions about uh, Acts 11? I think we're going to stop with Acts 11. I was thinking that we maybe get to Acts 12, but we talked about prophets for a while there. I do just note that Agabus shows up again in chapter 21, predicting that Saul's going to be arrested and held captive. 
to he, he's kind of almost like uh the uh god in the machine the one who suddenly like we need a transition how are we going to transition agabus he's going to do a prophecy <laughs> and we're going to move this show on the road <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that both times he it says he comes down from Judea or from Jerusalem. So it's like he's got his home base, but he goes out to where he's needed. <laughs> Prophet will travel. <laughs> Demetri, you have a question? I see you have a raised hand. Lower yeah, hand. So, Father, speaking uh, about prophets so there are absolutely no prophets today right well i don't i wouldn't say that um i think that um the kind the kind of prophecy and the things that are working within the history of the church they occur but i do not i think they are done it's kind of like christ in his life they're done quietly and in the shadows. They're not typically, uh, I wouldn't say the way of the spirit would not be getting a YouTube channel and doing uh, prophecies and then having a tip jar. That oh, seems I to be see. kind of against the, uh, the prophetic spirit uh, when the Holy Spirit would speak. Um, but do you, know, do you know of any prophecies about the future? Uh, that any events that I, haven't happened yet. I know that there are, there are different, uh, and this is something over the centuries of different various levels of kind of pop. Uh, what I mean by pop is usually around, for example, when Constantinople fell, there's all sorts of Greek uh, eschatological slash prophetic stuff. You know, Constantine built Constantinople, Constantine lost con uh you know Agio Sophia in Constantinople and then a Constantine is going to come back and take it this kind of stuff um I don't that to me is comes is kind of a different spirit than uh, Holy Spirit spirit no I'm not like I'm not I'm trying not to make a judgment about you know whatever that's not not my concern <laughs> about the end of certain nations etc or whatever but specifically it seems the Holy Spirit uh, if there was going to be fruit of it, it would need to be something in line um, with what we see here in the book of Acts. But who is the new Constantine? Aldemir. <laughs> no idea. And I think that, that we need to be asking more of what is the Holy Spirit wanting us to do as the church now oh, than trying to I find see. a new Constantine. I yeah. <laughs> so... All right, it is 8.30. Does anyone else have any questions or comments? Oh, I just X'd out of that, so that means screen sharing is done. <laughs> <laughs> so no more questions. Um, next uh, week, yes. Next week, we will go on to Acts 12. The week after that, we will not have uh, class uh, because I will be in Alabama and I will not be doing a Zoom class when I'm in Alabama. Sorry, everyone. Hopefully I'll maybe have a margarita about this time. <laughs> I guess I should turn off the recording. So there's that too. <laughs> you can always trim the end of it later. Yes, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs>